Hello again, welcome to the show. This week we're doing live-action Disney remakes, what with the new Beauty and the Beast film. Instead of pitching sequels to a film, this week we decide to pitch the next live-action Disney remake that Disney should greenlight. Fair few spoilers this week, though they're all rather mild, so don't let them put you off. This episode contains spoilers for Alice Through the Looking Glass, Maleficent, Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Winnie the Pooh, The Lion King, Bambi, The Aristocats, Disney's original version of The Jungle Book, the recent Jon Favreau remake of The Jungle Book, and The Jungle Book, The Book, Jungle Book, Book. Here it is. Hi and welcome to the show. Uh, we're we're doing live action Disney remakes this week, which is more of a broad topic than we usually do. But it's it's to tie in with the new Beauty and the Beast remake, the the nineteen ninety one animated version from Disney that's coming out soon. So we thought we'd have a look at this new trend of of Disney remaking all of their old animated classics in in live action that's uh, very, very, very prolific already, even though they've only been doing it for a few years. I'm Sol, and with me are Alan. Hello. And Housewives' favourite, Calvin. (laughs) I really am, hello. (laughs) So yeah, Disney, um, we've talked about Disney a bit before in general, haven't we? Uh, I think we're, well, Calvin and myself are certainly fairly well established as, as fans uh, Alan's a bit more not <laughs> into it, but, <laughs> but that, that's Alan, the case. Alan did not have a childhood, I think. Yeah, yeah. What... Actually, Alan, you know what, what? What did you watch when you were a kid? Like, what did you. Yeah. I'm fascinated. Um, I don't know. I honestly can't remember like anything from my childhood. I think, I think something <laughs> bad must have happened to me because I blocked most of it out. <laughs> oh, dear. I, I can't imagine Alan as a child. To be honest, he, he just strikes me like someone who just arrived fully formed. Haven't you seen those cute pictures of me as a child? I've got a couple on the Facebook there, so yeah, you've probably seen them at some point. Well, it's, hard, it's hard to know which ones are pictures of you and which ones are pictures of your like five-year-old friends that you hang around with. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, so basically, yes. Sol, Sol, you and me are fans of this. I think we talked about this quite extensively in our Frozen episode. Yeah. We're big fans of the Disney animated classics, and mm. it became trendy. I mean, Alice in Wonderland is the... That was the first, wasn't it? Unless you count... Um... Well, yeah, unless you count 101 Dalmatians back in the 90s, which, for some reason, was their own special little things in yeah. the 90s. I, I don't know why that didn't instill more of a, uh, a trend. I think more than anything, that was one of the more low-key Disney like animated films to begin with. It didn't require crazy special effects. It just needed the animal effects, which were fairly established in the 90s with films mm. like Babe and Homeward Bound and stuff like that. So right, yeah, I reckon yeah. it was probably following on from those films and Disney just thought, oh, we've got a, an animal property we can use here. Whereas yeah. the advancement that's been made with CGI special effects and the fact that you can just do 
anything now. You can you can bring you know Maleficent to life exactly as it appeared on screen. And this is the thing I'd, I'd like to before we even start. I'd like to take you up on the use of the phrase live action. Um, yes, <laughs> because this is just animated to a different standard. That's all it is, isn't it? I I do agree because it's it's really really, and this might be the most pedantic I've ever been on this show, but it is really frustrating me that that (laughs) it's really upsetting me that the one of the many, many, many quote-unquote live-action Disney remakes in the works at the moment is a remake of The Lion King, Mm. uh, which is being directed by Jon Favreau. Um, And they keep referring to it as a live-action remake of The Lion King. Now, that that is it's driving me crazy because the jungle <laughs> book you at least have that live action human boy as the main character and everything around him is animated and like so at least there's a tenuous reason because the human actors are actually live action elements but but the lion king doesn't have any human characters in it so unless they drastically change things it's going to be a 100% animated film using motion capture so mm. it's going to be a remake done in a photorealistic style but it's not live action in any sense of the word it's it's mm. animated it's just a remake of the lion king that's mm. all it is mm. um you know I, I i think you can make the argument for things like maleficent and beauty and the beast being live action because they they're they're at least using real actors in costumes but mm. and i think a lot of those are using actual sets as well are they not i don't know quite oh, yes. the extent of the production on beauty and the beast but it doesn't look like quite the cgi fest as oh no you know no. as as the jungle book was mm. i don't think they just shot it in a warehouse um, <laughs> this is this is the beginning of the end though you see this is we're never going to see live action again now it's all going to be computer generated peter cushing will be everything in everything <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily the, that's the next step. A bad thing. I mean, it, it the put it this way, like the Jungle Book, the the remake was great. And mm, well, do you want to talk about it? Because I just watched it, and Maleficent was shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, in it, I haven't really seen any of these in preparation for the show. I watched uh, Jungle Book and Maleficent. Should we start at the beginning then? Um, yeah, we'll, let's, we'll skip. We'll skip one of the one Dalmatians unless you really want to get into that because it's not really part of this wave. No, I mean we, we are coming up to a. They are remaking it again as Cruella yeah. with Emma Stone as Cruella um, potentially, but we'll we'll see if that comes off. Um, but no, because I, I I think this true this era of live action remix truly starts with Alice in Wonderland. But yeah, and even that was a uh, that wasn't intended as the start of a movie. Exactly, but it's it's kind of retroactively become the yes patient zero so to speak for the the whole thing it's it's kind of like man of steel wasn't really meant mm. to kick off dc's cinematic universe but it just happened to be the the film at the time that they could exactly attach everything to retroactively mm. because is alice in wonderland the t- 2010 tim burton film even a remake well that's the thing it's not it's it's a uh it was pitched as another adaptation of the book, and what it actually is is like a sequel to the story we know, and it's not necessarily... Mm. It's sort of implicit... Like, they hint at the Disney version, but I think it's meant more broadly than that. It's not meant to be directly tied to that Disney film. It's just a sequel to the story that's so well known. It's it's like if a new Spider-Man film was released that skipped over his origins like the i guess the new spider-man film coming out that's essentially what it is <laughs> mm, um mm. i mean we've we've spoken about how 
shit we all think that film is on <laughs> Tim Burton episodes. So I, yes, I, yes. I advise anyone interested in hearing us talk about it to uh, go back and, and have a look at that. Or a listen to that, rather. While we're talking about it now, I'm, I, I, do you think this is a good spot to talk about its sequel? Because uh, it did get one. Yeah, I watched that in preparation for this. Mm, um, yes. Have you I, have you seen it, Alan? You haven't no, seen these ones, no, have you? No. Yeah, the sequel, I was interested to see if that took any of the whole Disney live-action stuff on board. And it, it, I mean, it didn't, really. It was just kind of a mm. straight-up sequel. But it was a fucking weird film, because... Firstly, it's a sequel to a sequel, but secondly, there's already a sequel to Alice in Wonderland in book form, Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is better than the the first book. Um, mm. I think it's generally regarded to be better by those who've read it. I, I certainly preferred it uh, when yeah. I was a kid. And I think a lot of elements from that second book were incorporated into the original Disney film. I think a lot of I think it's more of a mishmash of both books than a straight up mm. adaptation of one or the other, it was just this weird sort of time travel thing. <laughs> like, mm. it was really odd. She she goes and meets um, the Clock King, whatever his name is, <laughs> played by Sasha Baron Cohen. He's just time, isn't he? Oh yeah, he is, isn't he? Isn't he just called time? I think so. Yeah, they go and, they go and meet him, and he's Sasha Baron Cohen doing an inexplicable ac- accent. Like, <laughs> like, what is that? Is it there's times when it sounds like it's him doing his French accent from Talladega Nights. There's times when it sounds like he's meant to be Swiss. There's times when it sounds <laughs> like he's trying to do Werner Herzog. It, it's really <laughs> odd. And he's he's mm. got these little um, robot friends who would just compare the meerkat knockoffs running around. <laughs> <laughs> like doing they're, they're like the exact same voice like kind of oh, oh hello and <laughs> she goes back in time and uh, I don't know I thought it was going to be like go back to Wonderland or something from her past but it's this weird like Alice in Wonderland babies thing where you see like a young queen then a young the white queen yeah yeah a young white queen a young red queen and you just see them as kids and it's just sort of like this isn't does anyone care about this? I, I don't know. Well, that's exactly it. Does anyone care? Because I, I find it fascinating that, first of all, the first film was an incredible financial success. It made over a billion dollars. It was so unbelievably successful. This one came out and it kind of flopped in comparison. I think a lot of that novelty was just that enough time had passed since we had our last Alice in Wonderland adaptation and the idea of Tim Burton doing one and, you know, Johnny Depp and CGI as well. It was the first Alice in Wonderland post-CGI, like, taking off. and That was at that time where you could pretty much... Re- there was about a year, shortly after Avatar, where you could yeah. release anything in 3D and it would be a big hit because uh, people would talk about, oh, you're being immersed in this world and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, whereas now that's all died down. So I'm I'm just kind of fascinated that they even bothered making a sequel because it seems like no one actually wanted it. Well, I know I know the first film has its fans, but I do think a lot of the uh, success of the first film was people like you and myself who thought, oh well, it's Tim Burton, it's got to be worth checking out, even if it's not great, and then were bitterly mm. disappointed and didn't bother going to watch the yes. sequel directed by uh, James Bobin or whatever his name is. There were a lot of weird little ideas in there and nice elements, but for the most part, it was just a a load of shit. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think, I, to be fair, I think it was almost exactly as good as the first film. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I haven't, ba- I haven't been back to watch the first one since that. 
cinema visit that we went to, so we saw oh, it together. Yeah, we did, we? Yeah. The first time if I remember. I, I do like that it's revealed that the Mad Hatter lives inside a giant hat in that film, though. Because <laughs> the implication is that Tweedledee and Tweedledum live inside a giant bald scalp. <laughs> I do like Matt Lucas in those films, I've got to say. He's, he's one of the... Um, Oh, you can't fault the cast the... in general. Actually, are pretty great for the oh, most yeah. part. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Alan Rickman as the caterpillar, and that's Barbara his Windsor final. And... That, that's his final performance as well, isn't it? Through the looking yeah. glass. That's a sad, uh, a sorry. Uh, yeah, like you say, Alan Rickman, Helena Bonham Carter. I think does a great job mm. as the Red Queen. The only one actually that mm. I really don't like in these films is Johnny Depp. And normal, mm. normally I like him in Tim Burton's films, but he his performance as the Mad Hatter just feels so half baked. So like we thought we've got to we've got to put a gritty real spin on it because it's Tim Burton mm. and we can't figure out how to do it. So I'll just do a whimsical uh, Scottish accent, you know, me in Finding Neverland, and then we'll do fat bastard like as the evil <laughs> Scottish guy who comes out every now and then. It just. Ugh. Anyway, I mean, uh, that that film came out and just kind of was forgotten about. But by the time that had come out, the the live action Disney trend was already pretty underway, wasn't it? It wasn't like the, by the time the sequel had, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we had Maleficent was the next one, wasn't it? After we did. Now I I I find Alice in Wonderland and Maleficent very interesting in their own ways because they're both kind of like we've already talked about. Alice in Wonderland was more of a sequel to the story we know. Maleficent wasn't when i remember at the time it wasn't necessarily pitched as a sleeping beauty remake which it kind of is yeah. just with an emphasis on maleficent's character i was very surprised by that actually because yeah, yeah it was right? pitched as a prequel really but it yeah. was much more yeah. of just a remake i i rented maleficent out on love film and i just couldn't be asked to watch it, and I think I actually rented it for over a year, so I must have spent about £80 in total on (laughs) renting that film. Uh, Wow. Because you have two discs at a time, and I I just kept watching the other disc that come in, but it's quite well regarded, certainly by the general public, Maleficent, to the point that they are making Maleficent 2 at the moment, aren't they? Or at least it's in development. They're planning on doing by the sounds of it. But I, I thought it was shocking. Quite frankly, um, I thought it was just fucking abysmal. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you, Alan. Have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've. I didn't think it was bad particularly, but I found it very basic, which is kind of what I expect from Disney, to be honest. But they're supposed to be being. They're supposed to be getting better. I watched Sleeping Beauty first, and then watched Maleficent straight after because it'd been so long. Oh, interesting. Since mm-hmm. I watched Sleeping Beauty, I thought I'd better do that first. And Sleeping Beauty is so basic. It's such the most standard kind of fairy tale Disney, early Disney. The idea of then taking that story and picking out probably the most interesting character and and, and seeing what that's about Mm. was quite interesting. Oh yeah, the the concept I don't have a problem with. But then they managed to tread the same steps in the the way that they make the bad guy, the King Stefan, just the most black and white bad guy. There's no grey area, there's no moral ambiguity. He's a complete arsehole and he fucks her over. And so she gets revenge and you never feel any... There's no conflict there because you think, yeah, fair enough. She's sort of doing that. Uh, yeah, I like the concept more than the execution. And there were, I didn't like the visual of it. At yeah, all, I really didn't. Uh, well, I mean, let me start off by saying that Sleeping Beauty, the original Disney animation, is one of my very favorite, well, probably films of all time. Never mind favorite Disney films. I think it, it is absolutely stunning. Like the yeah. artistry and character design and the backgrounds, everything is just beautiful. And the music. 
It's all this classical stuff. It's really not, lovely. Not and the I, story. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm kind of happy just to have three fairies like piss about for half an hour, like making a cake and like like they do in that. Like that's entertaining enough for me. See, I'm not and... sure that's enough for me to be honest. <laughs> I I did find this one a very difficult film to wrap my head around. I think I think looking back on it now, it makes more sense, but. Because it it was pitched as it's a new it's a new continuity, isn't it? It's not it's not a straight up prequel to the animated film, but yet it's using loads no, of no. elements that are directly lifted from the animated film. It's this very weird sort of thing mm. to get used to. On Maleficent itself, though, I I wasn't a fan. I didn't hate it, like not certainly not as much as I hated Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. But it, I I think it was because I. I was annoyed that I was sold a f- what I thought the film was going to be, which is a film about a true villain, and then in the end she has to be nice. And I was I was annoyed at myself. Well, I was annoyed at myself for not realizing that because it's like obviously she has to be nice yeah. if the mass audience are gonna be won over to her. But what I was hoping for was just a straight up she's bad, she's a villain. We're gonna tell the story from her perspective. Well, even then I was expecting she's she's bad, but there's gonna be a lot of. You know, I was expecting like Walter White in Breaking Bad rather than just right, she yeah. is yeah. being re repurposed as a good guy, and there's a new villain yeah. who was yeah. working behind the scenes that we never knew about. That like that mm. is the fact that she is so just black and white the good guy in the film that really mm. upset me. Yeah. I was hoping yeah. for a bit of moral ambiguity, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, none exactly. of it. yeah, that's exactly what I was after. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think Alan summed it up perfectly just by saying that everything that she does is justified. Because, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this dickhead really fucked her over, and yeah, I don't blame and he, her for and wanting revenge. And even that doesn't play well, because you... It's not like he's forced into a position where he has to do it, or like he has to choose between yeah. her and his kingdom or anything like that. He's just like, oh, power grab, yeah, I'll, I'll have a bit of that. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all on kind of the same page with this. I think we all wanted a film that was going to take some more risks and push the envelope and do things that you wouldn't necessarily expect it to do. And, oh, you know, the the, the marketing made out it was going to do. I mean, talking about about not taking any risks and, and doing it just as it is uh, on the page, I suppose, that also pretty much sums up how I feel about the next one that they did, Cinderella. Have you, oh. have you seen Cinderella? Oh, we're going to... Uh, yes, the, oddly enough, this was the only one I that I had to watch for the purpose of this podcast for the first time. Because I think after I was, I, fe- I felt so burnt from Alice in Wonderland and to a lesser extent Maleficent and Cinderella. I'm not a fan of the original animation really? at all, so I kind of I avoided this one when it came out back uh, back in 2015, and then I watched it for for this recording, and I loved it. Well, this one is fairly well thought of compared to the. It was so, it was the first of these films that actually got good reviews. I mean, I can I can understand why because it's not it's not bad. It improves on the original, I would say. It's just the story of Cinderella. They don't really change much. Then I was going to say they don't really add anything. They don't really put any new spin uh... on it. I don't know. There was nothing here that I, I hadn't seen a million times in various other adaptations of Cinderella. Right? It's fine. Helena Bonham Carter was good. She's always good. I did find it very interesting that she, because um, I, I didn't realize till recently, she she used to have a, a thing with yes. Kenneth Branagh. So I do find it very interesting that immediately after uh, her and Tim Burton broke up, she, she went and did a <laughs> Kenneth Branagh movie. Hmm. I don't know if that's sort of like going back to your ex on the rebound kind of thing. I think it's, uh, I think Kate Blanchett is the real star of it though, as this evil stepmother. 
She's fantastic. Yeah, it's, she's 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 fine, but the character's so one note. And, I don't think like, she is two dimensional. It's so like there's no like she's not like a real person. She's just cartoon villain, and I mean that's fine. That's all the evil stepmother's ever going to be, I suppose. But I don't know. I thought she was. I mean, I'm comparing this to the animation, where in the animation oh, she well, is yeah. just a straight I mean, up I, stern. There is no multi layer to her at all. Whereas Kate Blanchett did bring in. There were moments where she had like a bit of banter with Cinderella or some good humor, or seemed to be. Compared to the original, absolutely, I agree. It, it, I, I'm just viewing it as a film in its own right at the moment. I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know if I just went in with low expectations, but I I really enjoyed the whole thing. I got kind of swept up in it, to be honest. I just put it on and I was doing something else, but then I did sort of put down whatever I was doing and just think, oh, actually, yeah, I'll pay attention to this. I quite, quite like it. But I, I think to your point that you started with, Sol, this is the first one, by my estimation, that does just do the story and with no sort of yeah, yeah they, they, they may tweak it here and there, they make her a more active character, whatever, they may change a, a character here or there, but it's the story. Yeah, it's still very much a, a new adaptation of the same story. It doesn't really... It's not really just a flat-out remake of the Disney version at this mm. point. Mm. Although, the the lizard that's turned into a guy to like look the after fairy godmother. the character... Yeah, yeah that that did seem like it was meant as a nod to that lizard who pops up in uh, Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> Basil the Great Mouse Detective. It yes. seemed very reminiscent of that. I do wonder if that was intentional or not. But Bill, the lizard with the ladder. Yeah, but then um, the Jungle Book was the next one, and I I do think yes. this is this is the first one that came out and just was a real triumph. I suppose it actually worked like. Through and through, it reinvigorated a. Because I don't know. Have you have you seen the Jungle Book, the original, lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a childhood favorite of mine. I, I watched that film so much as a kid, and you know, it's it's fine, but it's not that great. It's I like, I've never it's very cared yeah, for it. <laughs> it's very basic Disney again. It, it does what it you know. It's got some nice songs, some nice ideas, but it's kind of yeah. The the new version is objectively without question the better film it, it, there's more depth to it there's more there's just more to it all around and it's, it's mm. i don't know i really i really like the new version i was very um pleasantly surprised i suppose i wasn't expecting much going in but don't don't you think that it's a very kind of confused film like i'm not sure what it's trying mm. to do i i no i, I don't think so and i didn't I didn't hate it particularly, and certainly like the visuals, you you can't mm. fault it. But the tone of it was weird. And I didn't have a problem with the tone like at they all. Throw in a couple of songs, and the the music was a very weird element. I will say that much because there's no there are no musical numbers up until like the like Baloo sings the Bare Necessities, but it's very much like. Dum dum dum. I'm humming the song. I know. Oh, what's yeah, that song? Oh, it's a song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me sort of try and sing it to you. And it's it's not. They're not. They don't sing it very well. It's you know. It's very just Bill Murray kind of going boom yeah, boom. That, the that works. Boom. And uh, it's played without kind of breaking the world of the film. And then you get to King Louis and the 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 <laughs> final act of the film, and and he's talking, and then he just breaks into song. And it was the, there was a ripple uh, like over the cinema when I watched it. People just being like, mm. what, "What the fuck is happening? What is this?" <laughs> and it's very strange. Like on it does come out of nowhere, doesn't it? On one hand, I I was kind of like, 
oh man, I'm going to be a bit sad if we don't hear that song. On the other hand, like, that was the wrong decision and they should have had him singing it over the end credits. Like, yeah. there's no, there was no, it just, yeah, it was bizarre uh, that they did that. But other than that, I think the tone of the film works quite nicely and quite well. Well, part of my problem was it, it was just started really slowly. It was... Yeah, I didn't think that. We talked about this before in terms of voice actors. Mm. There was just... I felt no personality with them at all until... Oh, I don't know about that. Bill Murray turns up. Yeah, Bill Bill Murray as Baloo was great, and Christopher Walken as King Louie, and uh, yeah. Idris Elba That's as it. Shere Khan was brilliant. No, nothing. No, no, there was nothing there. It could have been anybody. What? I thought... I thought he was fantastic. No, I didn't. I just felt like, and I like Idris Elba. I just didn't think he brought anything to it. Like, oh, I thought a, a he was really, genuinely like menacing and and. No, it felt no, it felt really empty. It felt like it needed more. But basically, from for me, it, the film really got started and came to life when Baloo showed up. Mm. The King Louis bit was okay, like Christopher Walken, but that whole kind of scene didn't feel right. The fact that they did an Apocalypse Now pastiche, I didn't get that at all. I don't know what they were telling me. <laughs> that was kind of weird, yeah. I don't really know why King Louis was like four times as the size as he should be. He's, I, he's, I didn't know what it, was He's going. like some ancient species of ape that's like believed to have gone extinct, isn't he? He's like an actual, what, what's he call himself? A Gigantolithicus or something. Well, it's like yeah. a real thing. But it's mm. like extinct, long, long extinct, and I think the idea is that King Louis is this like one surviving member of this species that that is is a very strange thing that they just dropped into the film. I don't think that's come from the books or anything like that. But I, I again, I didn't mind it. It just it added to the sense of being transported to this wondrous world. I, like I say, I saw it in the cinema, and there were. There were loads of kids sat around nearby, and you you really did get the sense that they were having these formative experience, you know, watching this film in their childhood, the same way that kids watch the original however many years ago and got the same sort of thing out of it. And I I think it... When I watched it, I was just thought, this is too boring for kids. Like, who's this for? No, there were a lot of kids in my screening and and they were really, really into it. Like, they they weren't talking and stuff. You could tell the the bits near the end where Shere Khan's trying to get Mowgli and it's very intense. I mean, it kind of goes back to how I'm really surprised that you don't think he was threatening. Yeah, they were on the edge of their seats. Well, what's what's the message of this film? I couldn't quite figure it out. I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out if they were saying be be like a wolf, but use what you've got. Be true to yourself, or it's be no, be, no, no. Be you, true you, to you, you, this yeah, is I, this is totally my main concern with it because this is completely the opposite message that the um, animation. Yeah, I, um, I agree, gives. and I, I like, like that. In the in the animated one, the whole thing is Mowgli. You've got to become a man. You've got to go back to the man village. This is what you've got to do. No, this the, is, and then then he. Of course it is. The message of the original is what you want to be with people different to your own. No, stick with your own. Like whites with whites, blacks with blacks. That's how it works. And the message of the new one is what you've gone and found a culture that you you like and you fit into and you've made friends with. And it's yeah. Why can't you go? Despite and... how impractical it is. Well, it works for them in the film, in the world of the film. And <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't see why you can't no, go and live with those in, people. In, but, I mean, obviously, yeah, they're bears and animals, but it's not set in the real world. It's all metaphor. You've made racism sort of parallels there, which I don't think is the case at all. I think in the original, it's all about him growing up. He's becoming a man. He has to mature and face 
his uh, adulthood, mm. which he, he gets when he sees that lass and they, they go off into the village. Here, the message is, no, nah, don't bother growing up. Just uh, just sort of stick around with us. It's more fun. And uh, be a kid forever. And I think that this is a big... I think that this is genuinely um, a, a comment on how society has changed. Because I think when you look at... I think you can, you can look at Star Wars and see this. Because in the original trilogy, which is all about Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker has to learn the ropes. He has to... Um, acquire all these skills that finally in the third film he ca- he has mastered everything that he needs to do and then he can finally defeat the bad guy. In The Force Awakens we have Rey. One film, she kind of does everything. She doesn't need to train for it. She's just naturally, she's just born special. She's just uh, w- with all these skills. She doesn't have to work hard for it at all. She's just got it all. I mean, I, there. what I will say is I'm pretty sure Rudyard Kipling was a, an unashamed racist. Um, <laughs> like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure he was <laughs> quite a racist <laughs> guy. Because, um, you know, he existed in a time when uh, when uh, that was a thing. But I, 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 do think, I do think whether consciously or not, the original Jungle Book does convey a message about, about not embracing other cultures and about sticking with your own and how people it's quite a separatist ideology and i i really did take the new film to be consciously sticking its middle finger up to that and being a much more this idea of inclusiveness because within the world of the film there is no reason why he can't live with baloo and the animals for the rest of his life there's no reason why like Obviously, it wouldn't work in reality, but yeah. So, so Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called "The White Man's Burden," <laughs> which what? invites the U.S. Yeah. to assume colonial control of the country. Oh, <laughs> hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm I, I haven't I haven't come in with the the adequate levels of research to. Uh... So you're saying that? Do you think Disney need to pick their source material better? Like. Rudyard Kipling's a racist. Lewis Carroll's a junkie pedophile. <laughs> well, what? I don't know because, like I say, I, I really feel like the new film felt like uh, it was sticking its fingers up to that kind of element from the original, and I didn't take it about shunning your responsibilities and choosing to never grow up because you know he 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 takes responsibility and he he saves the day as as you know he he takes on this this bigger evil this bully. He's still very much has to mature and and become more responsible he just then decides why does that mean i have to go and live with other people i want to live with my friends i want to be part of the the jungle society it's you know i think part of my problem is that that shere khan's basically saying look yeah he's a cub now he seems pretty sort of harmless but he's gonna grow up to be a man who is the most dangerous creature alive and he's gonna kill us all and then Mowgli kills him and sets the forest on fire. <laughs> but apparently that makes him a hero. I don't really, <laughs> don't really mm. get it. It's like, he's dangerous. You know, obviously we're talking about the uh, 2016 live-action Jungle Book remake here. Have either of you seen the 1994 live-action Disney remake of the Jungle Book? No. Now, this is, this is like a, a, a different adaptation of um, the Jungle Book, I think. So when we said, when we said they did it first with... 101 Dalmatians, like, this predates that. Oh, you're right, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, by a couple of years, yeah. yeah. Huh. Have either of you seen Pete's Dragon, which was another one of these... Re- Obviously, that was a live-action animation hybrid to begin with, but they, they did a a remake recently. I think it was quite well-received well with um, CGI Dragon in place, but it seemed like a much less whimsical mm. Mary Poppins-inspired affair than the um, first one. I have not seen it. No. No, Alan. No. 
Oh, I've not either. So no, yes, moving <laughs> swiftly on. <laughs> felt felt worthy of mentioning it. So I mean that that's all the ones they've done so far. Um, before we before we get into Beauty and the Beast, shall I shall I quickly rattle off the list of all of the other films they have in the works that are going to be coming out in the next few years? Oh, go on then. All of that. All right. So uh, Pinocchio. Oh. Night on Bald Mountain. That's based on the segment from Fantasia. Oh shit. Now that's going to be a fucking weird one. Shit, because... there goes my pitch. Oh, never mind then. Oh, I <laughs> think of something else quick. Oh, I'll, get, I'll get into that. Well, no, I, I, I've got a lot to like discuss there. So let's, if yeah, we'll discuss it when we get to your pitch, I guess. Okay. Uh, Dumbo, which is Tim Burton's next, yes. next film. Uh, Prince Charming, which is a, a spin-off about the, the character. And I, I don't, I don't think it's tied to uh, the the Cinderella mm. that that we just had. I think it's like its own thing. Uh, Maleficent two, Cruella, which as you say is has got Emma Stone attached to play mm. Cruella de Vil, um, and it's going to be another kind of villain's perspective thing in theory. But we'll see how that plays out. I I can't wait to see how they put the like if they do a Maleficent thing and turn her into a good guy. I can't wait to see how they do the twist on you know when her main driving aspiration in life is to skin animals These and wear dogs them. Dogs are are gonna take over the world, and <laughs> if they keep they have that many babies, then maybe she doesn't like the uh, breeding practices of, uh, of this family because <laughs> they're ah. all Dalmatians are blind and. <laughs> maybe maybe someone's got her kid and they're like you need to bring us this many dogs or the kid gets it <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's the thing with dalmatians they're all deaf or they're all blind or something like this oh i just thought like you were really talking common... about inbreeding no there's a really common thing with dalmatians and most um most like pedigree dogs are really inbred and genetically all over the place so i think a lot of them do have a lot of trouble with stuff like that mm. i don't know about that specifically with dalmatians but i know that like a lot of pugs have difficulty breathing and that sort of thing because they're just so their face is so fucked up from years of selective breeding that they just like yeah labradors all get get arthritis like <laughs> in their legs Dalma- and just dalmatians stuff like that. and hearing loss it says that's that's the yeah they're all Greyhounds, you have to use a special collar on them, or they'll like literally snap their neck. Oh if shit! You use a nor- if you no- if you use a normal like dog lead on them. Mm. Dog, yeah, they're they're like dogs are a- <laughs> they're like testament to uh, humanity's ability to fuck with nature. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, also uh, Sword in the Stone, Winnie the Pooh. Um, which is oh. being directed by what is that guy called who directed um, Quantum of Solace? Mark Forster? Yeah. Who did World War Z? Yep, he's directing live-action Winnie the Pooh. Why do people still keep giving him work? It's weird, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, The Little Mermaid, which Sofia Coppola has walked away from, but was attached to. I believe it was a casting dispute because uh, uh, the studio wanted to cast Chloe Grace Moretz, or whatever she's called, and she didn't. She wanted to cast an unknown and... uh, but that's still that's going to be apparently. a very interesting one to film all the underwater stuff. I wonder how they'd go about doing that. Huh. That'd be very interesting. Uh then there's Genies coming out which is poised to be a a, a sort of prequel leading into a remake of Aladdin. Huh. Which is interesting I guess and and I'm quite I'm quite looking forward to Aladdin being remade cuz like I say a fresh spin on those songs I like maybe some new songs. 
Mm. Um, the the producers also promise that there won't be any Hollywood whitewashing whatsoever, and they're going to cast like actual Middle Eastern actors. So it'll be quite nice that I think. And the Lion mm. King as well. I've got a very that's another one they're doing. John Favreau's remaking it as as we spoke about, and I uh, they've just cast Donald Glover as Simba. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be child Simba, adult Simba, all of it. And have you do, you do you guys know who they've cast as Mufasa? James Earl Jones. James Jones. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> that's, that's weird, though, isn't it? Like, it's really odd. Well, this is it. It's like, at wh- what point are we just sort of, like, redo... Because uh, the film, yeah. like you pointed out earlier, Sol, is already just going to be animated anyway. There's going to be no live-action yeah. components. So at it's what point strange, are we just doing photo-real remakes, shot-for-shot shot of the same yeah. thing? It's bizarre. But, yeah, we've got uh, Tinkerbell. Presumably they have some plan to do a Peter Pan tying into that. And Mulan as well. They're doing Mulan. Well, Mulan is going to be the next one after Beauty and the Beast, from what I understand. That's the going to be 2018. Yeah, yeah, they're really moving ahead with that one. Again, they're not whitewashing it. They're going for a, They've got a, a female director. They're going for an all-Chinese cast, from what I understand. They're going to film it in China. Wow. Oh, yeah. Then they've got Scarlett Johansson playing Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> you know in Winnie the Pooh? Yes. I'm not that familiar with it, but... There isn't much story there, is there? Isn't, like, the biggest conflict they have is, like, they can't reach the honey or something? Yeah, there's a million stories, but they're all, like... Yeah, but is... They're all... They need something big for the film, don't they? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of Winnie the Pooh films already, and, you know, I I, I think they're quite good, the the two two theatrical Winnie the Pooh Disney... Proper Disney ones. It's usually just, like... Like, the more more recent one, which is an incredibly underrated film from... uh, Was it 2011? Yes, um, yes. Th- th- I think it's essentially just Christopher Robin goes to uh, to school or something and they don't know where he's gone because they don't read his note properly and they just wander around the woods trying to find him for like an hour and yeah, getting, like, I think they fall down a hole at one point and have to figure out how to get out of the <laughs> hole and just things like that. Like, it's not, there's no big stakes, but I don't think it really, they're very chilled out films to be honest i think it's quite yeah. refreshing in a lot of ways <laughs> um, yeah no i agree um and i mean it'll be interesting to see what they do with it if they do go ahead and make these you know this big live action thing but with with mark forster at the helm it could go either way really he's done kinetic like crazy action with no plot at all but he has also done interminably dull dramas with like no action whatsoever so um <laughs> like it, it could go either way it what it could go either way to like bad or bad but to be honest i think disney have quite a good handle on the brand with winnie the pooh i think they understand yeah. what people connect with there I, I do think i don't think they'll like crowbar him into an action movie because mm. that's not what people get out of it and Winnie the Pooh really lends itself to a live action remake more than almost any of these, if you ask me. Just so, because you know you've got your human child in the woodland, and all mm. you really need is these little stuffed animals being brought to life and in a live action way. In fact, the old Winnie the Pooh films even opened with live action like intros with the stuffed animals and the book being opened. And hmm. But yeah, the, the other one that we've not spoken about is Beauty and the Beast. There's a long, long list, and it, it does feel like every week they announce a new one. Like Every week it's like, oh, Bambi's being remade, okay. Snow White was announced, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Have I missed that one? 
Probably. I don't know. I, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I do think they're, they're getting through them so quickly. It's like they realise that this mm. trend is going to burn out soon, so they're just trying to get as much mm. out of it as possible. But I I don't know. I, I, it's going to be interesting, because they've not got a lot of uh, films left to, to, to draw on, really. And I think that'll be... Mm. I'll save discussion of this till after we've done our pitches, I guess, because we don't know which ones we've chosen. Our, our pitches this week are not for Beauty and the Beast sequels, but for um, our own live-action Disney remakes, essentially, what Disney should do next. Yeah. But but yeah. before we get into that, I suppose, should we should we speak a bit about um, Beauty and the Beast? Should we talk about the original? Oh, let's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the original was, like... Was it the first ever animated film nominated for the best picture oscar yes it was yeah it was before there was an animated films category and i think they just felt like they had to acknowledge the the craftsmanship i've got a weird relationship with beauty and the beast now because it's 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 good but i think musically it's like i think what you know what bugs me is is be our guest because i think Mm. i think be our guest is a really shit song and everyone loves it they think it, I think they think it's the best thing, but the the Simpsons version, "See My Vest," is like musically better, <laughs> and that's just like a little parody, like knockoff of it. But like that, they improve on the melody so much and make it punchy and upbeat. And then you go and watch the original, and it's just so like, it's just like it never gets going. It's just so uninteresting, hmm. and dull, and and the main theme, "Beauty and the Beast," is really boring. But then you've got Gaston. Oh, no, it's Gaston's song's brilliant, and and the opening number with Belle walking around the village is great. So, I love elements of the film, and I I don't really like others. And it's I mean it's good. I love it. I think it's one of the very best. Beautiful, wonderful. I think all the music's great. It's yeah. I think it's fantastic. Probably my probably is actually my favorite of the animated classic really? line. Alan, you probably hate it. I assume. Uh... <laughs> To be honest with you, I haven't seen it for a long time, but um, so I couldn't really judge too well. Um, but yeah, probably. Fair enough. Are you are you familiar with the the nineteen eighties TV show live action Beauty and the Beast? No. Starring Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. <laughs> Ron Perlman. <laughs> Ron Perlman as the Beast. Yeah. Ooh. There's, I mean, there's hundreds of adaptations. So I, you know, I've I've seen the the famous um, French nineteen forties film which i assume you guys have probably yeah. seen as film students no before. i haven't actually have you not with, with all great stuff with all the with, with all the hands in the, the wall holding the yeah, the yeah. chandel the um you'd, you'd torches like and stuff yeah like oh okay maybe i should check that out yeah it's all right it's not it's not french though in it i was gonna say it's it's hard work after you've watched the disney version it's not nearly as <laughs> it's black and white and <laughs> french and <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Can't be doing with that. God. 1940s beast makeup as well. It's not exactly... But there you go. Like Live action Beauty and the Beast isn't even a new idea. So what are they bringing to the table with this new one? Well, Emma Watson. Well, they got Dan Stevens, the pudgy guy from Downton Abbey, to slim down, and now he is, is he the, the beast? beast. Okay, and Emma Watson... Uh, yeah, who is a favourite of this podcast for discussion? <laughs> I think it's been available now. The opening musical number sequence where she sings Belle, and I mean that. Bearing in mind, I've seen a couple of trailers, and that's like the first like ten minutes of the movie or something. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of amazed that it is 
line for line Isn't in it? some instances wow. like take not even just the song but like because again one of the uh, one of the real strengths of the jungle book the new one going back to that is that it was such a reimagining it wasn't mm. it took it took like design elements of Mowgli's look and stuff but and songs but mm. the story was essentially built up from scratch Using mm. the the framework well, of the 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 original, but I mean, even in Cinderella, when the story was the same, the dialogue was at least yeah. different. Like, the, it wasn't a scene for scene remake. Not not exactly. There were plenty of differences. I suppose Beauty and the Beast holds a much dearer place in a lot of hearts than these other films did, and maybe it's they also felt the most more... recent. All the other ones are from, like, the 50s, Jungle Book 60s. This is the only one that is kind of fresh in everyone's minds, and certainly for, like, millennials, like us lot, it's probably one that a lot, you know, most people our age who are Disney fans would hold near and dear. Oh, that's, that's, that is worrying, though, because I, I've made my peace with Jon Favreau remaking The Lion King, which is my Mm. favourite Disney film, for the record. I, I, I don't want to just see the same film again. I want to see a new take on it that, you know, expands on areas and goes into things that mm. weren't really explored and finds new angles on it. I hope that's not the direction they're they're going in. It's a uh, well, it's a franchise essentially, isn't it? Live action Disney remakes. I mean, it's it's their new thing. I don't know. I I, uh, I don't know quite what to make of it all. I've barely seen any of Gaston in action, but what little I've seen of him in the the trailers um, doesn't instill me with much hope for the oh, film. I, I don't know. I, do. I know. I, I think. I think all the side characters have been incredibly well cast. L- Lumiere and and Cogsworth look terrifying, like genuinely <laughs> freakishly scary. I think they've cast them all quite fine, apart like from Emma maybe Watson. Emma Watson. <laughs> I think she has like one line of dialogue in the trailer, and she manages to ruin it. She just says something like, "Hello, is anyone <laughs> oh. there?" But it's so like. Like like I just did, basically. Just, hello? Is anyone there? <laughs> it's so like, oh god, come on, Emma, you've not... It's not that... I think it's she, it's how she uses her eyebrows and sort of just general forehead area and eyes that really gets to me. There's something always over the top about every eyebrow raise or movement. This is the thing, like, no matter how well put together and made this film is... It's never going to come close to the original because Belle is going to be bad. Like, there's no... You can see it in the trailer. She's... It's Emma Watson being Emma Watson. And I just... She's going to fucking ruin it. So it's at best it's going to be kind of fun, but you can't really hold it up as an all-time classic because the lead's shit. But you know she is a lovely person, and these are just our opinions. So she might. I mean, I've I've heard that she likes to kill mice. (laughs) She likes to stamp on them. Should we try and start some beef with her? Actually, that'd be good for our notoriety. We want to get sued because the publicity exactly. will be amazing, and we've got we've got no money to be sued for, so we've got nothing to lose. Kelsey Grammer didn't buy it. Let's move on to Emma Watson. <laughs> I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> let's just go back. To, let's double down on Kelsey Grammer. Then what's what's he been up to? Lately? Kelsey Grammer is you know, the beast. Oh. I heard that he brings mice to her as a present. <laughs> <laughs> she stamps on them with her bare feet. With, oh, bare feet? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Okay. She likes to feel the, bow, the skull crushing. <laughs> God. <laughs> Emma, we'd, uh, we'd be very interested to discuss these, these uh, <laughs> hobbies of yours uh, if you want to get in touch. Um, we won't judge. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, there's stuff I still want to say about Disney remakes, but uh, we should probably do the pictures first, so I don't end up stepping yeah. on any toes, I suppose. Okay, so Calvin, uh, as we heard already, you're doing Night on Bald Mountain. Well, no, actually, I'm going to do all of Fantasia as oh. my pitch. Uh, Fantasia is one of my very favourite Disney films. I think it's... No, you again, know what? Uh, that, that'd be really interesting. Oh, right. Oh, I thought you were going to have a go at me for it, because I'm pretty sure we've, no. had a, we, we've had a row about you. Think <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't likes... like Fantasia. Yeah, it's but... pretentious. Man. No, I, I didn't say that. I just don't think it... I like the concept. I, I tell you what, I like Fantasia 2000. Oh, no. I just find most of the segments in Fantasia to be very uninteresting and boring. Well, no, I think I think part of the wonderful thing about Fantasia is that each segment does take on a different sort of, and for the time, revolutionary animation technique. There's something about each one, even if it's just like a tracking shot from like, you know. So for the listeners who, I think everyone's probably heard of Fantasia, but Fantasia is basically a se- a, a film based a, a, around about, probably about eight or nine sequences, animated sequences, or about ten minutes long each. And they're all classical music. animated to yeah to classical music, and it's it's different ones. It's it's quite it's as probably art house as these Disney films ever got. Well, it's kind There's... of music videos before such a thing were invented. You know what? You're actually right. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I, I think they pitch it in Fantasia as like what you see when you close your eyes and listen to the music, and they've just sort of yeah. animated it. Is the idea. Like, yeah. I love the concept. Walt Disney's plan for Fantasia was basically, this is only like his like third animated feature mm. after Snow White and Pinocchio. And his plan was that basically a new version of Fantasia would be released every year. And there'd be like maybe a new segment or two and other segments would jumble around. But basically it'd be a constant rotation of mm. shorts, which is why The Sorcerer's Apprentice was retained for Fantasia 2000. Because the whole idea was that You'd keep some shorts and bring in other ones, and every time you'd bring in a new animation technique or whatever. That didn't happen, because Fantasia came out and a lot of people went to, to it, and then there's all, what the hell is this? Um, there's no narrative. Oh yeah, it's it didn't just, do very well, did it? No, no, not well at all. Um, mm. Now it's regarded as a classic, but not back in the day. But um, they, they they kind of did do Fantasia sequels, like, on the sly. Like, yeah, they're not, they're in not short ofi- form. They're not officially... No, no, like, um, Make Mine Music, have you seen that? That's oh, basically right. another Fantasia. Uh, yeah, they're short... Melody Time as well. Were made... Yeah, a lot of the wartime stuff. I mean, that was the a lot... But a lot of that was just... Did. A lot of that was just economical or government-sponsored to improve relations with Latin America. Yeah. So, my uh, pitch would be to remake Fantasia as a live-action film. Yeah, we're just going to get the orchestra in and have them do the exact same piece of classical music. I was going to say, so so same pieces. Yep. Reimagined in the same, the same way? Uh, similar. We're, go- we're going to have some actors. So you're going to have a big demon man coming out for Night on Bald Mountain. Well, you're going to have the, the centaurs minus the, uh, the racist one. We'll get to the we'll get to the casting shortly. First of all, we're going to start with the um, Johan Back Bach Johan Back. Okay. We're, first of all, we're going to start with the Johan Back <laughs> piece, um, which at the start of Fantasia is. I've never I've never heard anyone call him Johan. Oh, what's his name? What's his name? <laughs> I think most most people call him Bach, don't they? But oh, Bach. Okay. Bach. Yo, Johan yeah. Sebastian Bach. Okay. So we're going to start with the Johan Sebastian Bach piece. Uh, it's because I'm Northern, Alan. That's why I say Bach. Uh, <laughs> 
So we're going to start with um, the, this piece opens Fantasia, and it's really just a, a sequence of uh, illuminated uh, lights and superimposed shadows and abstract stuff. It's sort of psychedelic, so we're just going to do a similar thing to that. And then after that, we have the Nutcracker Suite, which is the one where they have the kind of racist uh, Chinese dance with the little uh, mushroom things that um, have, you know, sort of do a little Chinese dance. So for that sequence, and there's a Russian dance and Arabian dance, so for that we're actually going to get in proper dancers from around the world. Who knows, maybe we'll have an ITV talent show to try and assemble uh, a cast. After that we have the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I want to have a CGI Mickey Mouse, photorealistic giant Mickey Mouse. Um, We're going to have a human Ian McKellen playing the Sorcerer. Wait, giant Mickey Mouse. Well, he's not going to be mouse-sized, but he's going to be. Oh, okay. Sorry, no, I, was, I wasn't. You don't mean like Godzilla Mickey Mouse? Like, <laughs> stop. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, then after that, we have what is my favourite segment in uh, Fantasia: the Rite of Spring segment, which is when you see the um, a visual history of the creation of Earth, and there are dinosaurs and all this kind of stuff. So I, you, they just want to do straight up CGI photo real animals for that bit. Then we have the intermission. And then we have the Pastoral Symphony, which is the bit where they... It's like ancient Greece, and they oh, have, like, the God. centaurs and Zeus See, that, and stuff. So, start getting bored. we're going to take out the racist one. There's, like, this drunk guy who comes in on a donkey and he starts drinking wine, and I want Brendan Gleeson to play the drunk man. I want Brian Cranston <laughs> as Zeus, and... And Emma Watson as uh, one of the centaur ladies to get the young audience in. Now, um, after that, we have the Dance of the Hours, which is the uh, sequence where Hyacinth the Hippo uh, dan- that one too. dances like, with aggravates the me. alligator. Oh, no, I love it. Well, uh, for the casting, I want, I want Benedict Cumberbatch as the lead <laughs> alligator. And then I want to resurrect Hattie Jakes for the hippo. <laughs> because if they did it with Peter Cushing, they can do it with Hattie Jakes. And I think she'd be perfect. I think we all agree that she would be perfect in the part of Hyacinth Hippo. And then we come to Night on Bald Mountain, which I would want Jack Nicholson as Chernobyl, <laughs> <laughs> who is the devil creature that comes out and takes the spirits uh, out of the bodies. And uh, that, yeah, that's basically my pitch. Um, I know that that was just a lot of casting choices, really, but... Uh... I, I would genuinely be quite excited to see that. Mm. Um, a lot more than I am for this Night on Bald Mountain thing. Because this is it, they're, they're doing... They announced a live-action remake of the Night on Bald Mountain or, uh, from Fantasia, that segment. Mm. And it's like, how long's that? Like, seven minutes? Eight minutes? Like, oh, and... It's probably a bit longer than that. I think it's probably... It probably is about 10, 15, something like that. But there's there's no... Like, obviously, there's no dialogue. There's not really any story. It's just a no. big demon man appears and looks menacing. So, like, yeah. how the... F- fuck are you going to get a feature film out of that? Presumably yeah. they're going to write a story and it's not just going to be a music-driven thing for an hour and a half. So I, that's a really weird one to me. Out of all the films they're doing, that is the weirdest one that I don't really understand. Mm. And I'd be a lot more on board with the idea if it was just a straight-up live-action Fantasia. Because that, that could be quite interesting. You know, I, I, There's something to be said for the, the spectacle of you know proper dancing and and all mm. that sort of stuff so um shall i go next yes go for it soul what would uh, what would your pitch be which one have you selected we're running out of idea like films that are viable here and there were a few that i thought oh that'd be good but they'll probably do they, they probably will announce them in a few years like there's there's such a there's a massive chance that like between the recording of this episode and it actually going up 
like they'll announce it. So <laughs> I thought I'd look beyond that a bit. Because what are they going to do once this? Once they've done all of the films and they've got sequels out of them, they're they're going to be like desperately looking for how they can milk their old franchises further. So I thought, why not do an animated remake of a live action Disney film and and flip the uh, flip <laughs> the whole thing on its head? And so I I've chosen a uh, a Disney classic, Cool Runnings, <laughs> oh. um, which uh, oh. I, I think I think everyone would be happy with if uh, they went ahead and 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 did a an animated remake of. There's there's not a lot of um, fondly remembered live action Disney films to be honest. There's there's maybe three. Mary Poppins. Uh, oh, if you count the live-action animation hybrids, yeah, you've got Mary Poppins, which is another one actually I meant to mention because they are they're doing a sequel to Mary Poppins at the moment. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yes, yes, with Angela Lansbury's going to be in it. <laughs> but also, um, you know, I, I I love Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I was a big fan of that as a child. I think I think that's got as much potential for a remake as uh, any of those live-action films. More than Pete's Dragon, and they've done that. Um, mm. What's the other one? There's there's one more, isn't there? Oh, victory! No, and... not victory. Oh. Uh, the the reluctant dragon. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> they could do that one. <laughs> Where uh... enchanted as well, I suppose. Recently, if if that counts. Ah uh, uh, yes. Oh, um, song of the south. Oh, that... they won't even release that on DVD. <laughs> Despite having a whole ride dedicated to the thing, like a prominent ride in Disney World. I loved that film when I was a kid. I mean, we, we had the vi- we I'm... had the video. It was absolutely that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't see it till quite recently, and uh, I didn't think it was very good. It's not that racist, is it? I think I think at worst it makes out that like slavery was okay. But apart from that, it was not racist. <laughs> but that's not like the focus of the film, and it's I, I don't know. Have you seen So Dear to My Heart, which is the other one that it was kind of the follow up to that? Oh. Like no, a, I, do, I haven't even heard of it. It's, it's like a spiritual sequel to Songs of the South. I think it's got the same kid in it or something. Um, hmm. It's 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 regarded as being about as good as Songs of the South, but I think it's slightly worse. But I, I wasn't a fan of the first one either, so I'm probably not the... If you like one of them, you might like the other. It's worth checking out. Hmm. I mean, I should point out I've not seen it in about like 15 years. I've forgotten what the other live-action Disney films were that I considered. They've not got that many, like, real classics. They're, they're all very, like, quickly forgotten films, like, um... Huck Finn, was that one of them? Um, oh, you know what? I considered doing Flubber. Ah. I thought that might work quite nicely. The Parent Trap, that was the other one I considered doing. The Parent Trap's the one they remade with Lindsay Lohan, right? I'm yes, that's the one. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I considered them. But I, I thought Cool Runnings. That's the that's the one that's going to appeal to like millennials who who watched <laughs> it on on video like throughout the nineties. That's Freaky Friday. Sorry, that's what I meant. Not the parent. Ah, uh, I mean they yes. did remake that with Lindsay Lohan. But I, I no, mean, well yeah, they did both with Lindsay yeah. Lohan. <laughs> but Freaky Friday was the one that I was thinking of. In your Cool Runnings remake, would the characters be reimagined as animals? Although that might work, I suppose. Olympics and, and Jamaican animals. What Jamaican animals are there? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to think. But all the Olympians, like the top Olympians, could be like wintry animals, like penguins. That could and work. And then John Candy could be like a polar bear. I was, I was wondering who'd, um, who, who would you cast as a modern John Candy? You only need the voice here. 
but it's got to embody that role. I think I reckon if they were making this in real life, they'd cast Josh Gad. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if that's necessarily the right guy for the role. Jack Black, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I'd envision it as just. I mean, in my head, it's like traditionally animated, but that never, never happened. But they could at least, you know, write some nice musical numbers. Really fully embrace turning it into like a part of the Disney canon. But the thing with this is, it it does pave the way for them then doing a live action remake of the animated remake a few years down the line, <laughs> and so we get another cool runnings but yeah i mean essentially that's it that's that's my pitch there's not a lot more to it you could have them as the four crows from dumbo just lift those characters straight out i like those crows i know they're they're considered part of this (laughs) racially insensitive uh uh time but i i've never i don't know i i know i'm speaking as a a essentially white guy here but like are they that bad really yeah are they that bad those crows they're I don't see how it's any different to Eddie Murphy voicing Donkey or something like that. And... I, I, that's how I kind of agree. Um, yeah, and it, I mean, they weren't bad enough that they were removed from the film outright, so I'm guessing that... Like I say, I, I think I think Dumbo's alright. I don't think Dumbo did anything wrong there. I might be completely missing something. I think Dumbo did wrong in being a shit film, but I don't think The Crows were the worst part no, of it. Oh, what? Fuck off. Dumbo's fucking great. I hate Dumbo. We'll get to it when Tim Burton does his <laughs> version, but I I hate it. Dumbo's excellent. It's one of the best. It's one of the best Disney. It's one of the only films from like pre nineties Disney that really works as a film. It's great. I love Dumbo. I, I'm having a hard time thinking about what else I would put at the bottom if not that. Uh, well, you know, there's hundred. There's all those maybe Chicken shitty, Little. That's Make Mine Music. Fun and Fancy Free. They all go at the bottom, surely. Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Nah. Oh no. What about the Black Cauldron? Uh, oh, I haven't seen it in years. It's it's the o- it's like one of the only ones that they haven't released on Blu-ray yet. <laughs> so Calvin doesn't deign to watch DVDs anymore. <laughs> God no. <laughs> what about just shit that everyone loves, like Bambi? That's a shit film. I I like Bambi. You know what's wrong with Bambi is everyone goes on about how sad it is when his mum dies, and it isn't sad because he doesn't give a shit as the protagonist. He just he his mum dies and he goes he goes mum mum and then he sort of goes ah oh, whatever forget forget it where are you mum ah fuck it forget it and then he just walks off <laughs> and then we don't like that would be tragic because it's like well the kid doesn't understand what's happened and so on but we don't see the fallout of it because it immediately then cuts to like several years later and he's an adult and he's dealt with it and he's come out the other side so there's no time to to deal with it or process his grief with him like it's not You've seen Bambi 2, haven't you? Isn't that what that's all about? Well, yeah, but I'm talking about the first film. <laughs> oh, okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. Compare that to The Lion King when it's genuinely, like, gut-wrenching when Mufasa dies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, well, yeah. And then, and then they skip forward to him being an adult and he's over it. Yeah, but you spend at least a few... Eating bugs and hanging out with layabouts. You spend at least a few minutes processing it and seeing the <laughs> the impact. And it's not like... It doesn't immediately skip to him as an adult. It, it shows him running off. It shows the impact that he felt that he had to, like, flee. You know, I, I, yeah, it glosses over it well, yeah, for no, the no, most I mean, part. But it, yeah. it, it at least acknowledges it in a way that Bambi doesn't. The rest of the film is him dealing with it, at least. Uh, whereas Bambi isn't. He just sort of gets on with it and gets a girlfriend and... Yeah, so fuck Bambi, I hate it. So you prefer Simba because he's he, he can't get over his emotional trauma, whereas Bambi just gets on with his life. Bambi's a sociopath. I think that makes him a bad person. 
<laughs> don't like him. He's rubbish. I can't remember where your pitch started. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was Call Runnings. That was yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I, yeah. yeah. So that's okay, that's so my pitch. I, re- I was going to pitch Basil the Great Mouse Detective, but then I just thought, like, they'll probably do that on their own. Oh, I would love that. They'll probably do that on their own. <laughs> I, I want genuine little mice. I, I, no dialogue, like photo real mice <laughs> running around solving a crime. I'd, I'd envision it as like you film actual rooms and actual like models, and then you plop your plump your CGI mouse down in the set, mm. and it's that kind of uh, macro photography for like nice elaborate close-ups. But there's like CGI mice running around. I think it could work really nicely. But hmm. anyway, uh, Alan, what's your idea? <laughs> Well, um, I'm. I basically want to do a live action remake of the Aristocats. Oh, okay. Um, no, this is mainly. Oh, of course you would. You love cats. Because I love cats. The Aristocats yeah. is, is. Yeah, I like the Aristocats. Well, I watched it. I did like the animation style of it. It felt very kind of rough and ready. Like you could see all yeah. the. It was a different kind of animation technique that they started with. Was it uh, 101 Dalmatians or Sword in the Stone that they started with? And it was basically a different kind of process, okay. which meant that... I think it was called... Was it called the Xerox process or something like that? Um, it basically meant that Sleeping Beauty was the last sort of, like, hand-painted on cells. Right. You know, where the artist drawings were translated to cells. And then it was some, a different kind of process that meant that the the animator's sketches just got straight transferred, which is why they do look a bit rougher, because the artist would obviously, they wouldn't just use a one solid line, yeah. they would use several lines and like lines on the face to yeah, you know yeah, say yeah. where the eyes and mouth should be, um, which didn't happen when the drawings were just copied. I like that, though. It feels ones. like you're watching something being drawn, and I like that. It's, yeah, it's sort of yeah. no, I really like it. So anyway, with my remake of the Aristocats, I'm going to do it live action, and I mean live action. So that means... You just get a barrel full of cats. You put them into this. You put them in the scene, and it's like in like raw. It's in true raw fashion. Ah, you just, uh, so it's basically cats. unscripted then. <laughs> well, film the cats. Well, no, watch you, what they do. You have to you have to set up a scene. Like, well, for, I thought, for example, you know, one of them plays the piano, right? You put yes. put a kitten on a piano, film that for a while, and then sort of try and make it work. Put a kitten next to some paint, and like put its feet <laughs> in the paint and things like that. Because one of them paints. So, you know, I think you, you've got to sort of set up the idea and then you've got to film and try and make it work. But then to help with the edit and to make it all work, you get motion capture footage of actors being the cats as well. And then you can kind mm. of clumsily cut between the real cats and then this kind of uncanny valley, horrible face <laughs> cats. <laughs> and they'll look really horrible. Um, it'd just be, you know, really disturbing. Uh, but I want to uh, update the story slightly. Now, are you familiar with the fashion designer Karl Lagerfeld? Yes. No. <laughs> he's the one with all the funny glasses, isn't he? With the white hair. Well, yeah, he's, they've all got funny glasses. I'm thinking of Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> Karl Lagerfeld is a fashion designer originally from Germany. Oh, this guy. He looks, he looks blind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Karl Lagerfeld is, you know, he's a fashion designer, so he's obviously a little bit eccentric. But he lives in Paris, so that, that's the first thing. Also, why is the Aristocats set in Paris? Because there's not, none of the characters are French. What are you talking about? The, the mum has a French accent. Well, she's not. She's Hungarian. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, right, yeah, it's Sasha Gabor's sister, isn't it? And then they got an American. The, the geese are English. And all, all the kids are, like, Londoners, like, horribly <laughs> British. Horribly English actors. 
I've got a couple of casting ideas. Oh, brilliant! I want to know who you will cast as the butler, the villain. Oh well, I haven't. Well, I haven't got the butler as such because I'm oh. replacing the old woman, Madame. I'm replacing her with Karl Lagerfeld. You see, <laughs> one of Karl Lagerfeld's many eccentricities is that he's got a cat named Choupette. Um, that he, I mean, he said on on record that he would marry this cat if it were legal. Um, mm-hmm. And this oh. cat, this cat is very famous now, and it has these two like handmaidens that looks after its every whim, and uh, it eats at the table with Karl Lagerfeld, and it has its own Twitter account and all this sort of thing. And he's got this very strange relationship with this overly pampered cat. So perfect setup for the cat in Aristocats. Good God, you're right. I'm on its Instagram. It flies. <laughs> it flies first class. It like flies better than most humans. <laughs> it needs the extra legroom. Have you have you given any thought to the casting of Uncle Waldo? <laughs> no, I didn't really get into Uncle Waldo. Just, I'm just intrigued because if I recall correctly, uh, an ex-lover of yours had a bit of a thing for Uncle Waldo. Oh, really? Uncle Waldo the Drunk Goose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? I recall her being very forthcoming with how I think she started the conversation as well. I should add, I don't, I don't think it was like she reluctantly answered this, but it was a conversation about like which Disney character out of all the characters you were most like attracted to and i think that included the humans <laughs> <laughs> okay so carl lagerfeld has this cat i'm imagining this as basically as a carl lagerfeld financed uh, passion project and so he's he's playing madame um, <laughs> as, as such unfortunately carl lagerfeld he's had so much work done in the way he presents himself doesn't he's not really human enough to pass as a human in a in a live action film so <laughs> we'd need we'd need someone to motion capture an animated Karl Lagerfeld to make him more realistic <laughs> sorry i I'm, I'm looking up this cat on oh no sorry oh god oh sorry now i misread this sorry <laughs> i i read um Schuppet is the pet cat of Karl Lagerfeld head of design and creative director at Chanel i thought the cat was head of design <laughs> and creative director at Chanel i was like what the has he done? But no, that's not the case. Karl Lagerfeld is the head of design and creative director at Chanel. Okay, sorry, sorry. Go on, Alan. Sorry. So, um, unlike in the original, I want other characters to. Uh, they will still speak English, but with like dodgy French accents, like allo allo accents. Um, and I was thinking, as Thomas O'Malley, the Alley Cat, he's got to be a, a bit of rough. I was thinking Jason Statham. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! You were gonna say like Chris Pratt or something? No, Jason Statham is the cat. <laughs> but with a <laughs> but imagine him doing like a cod French accent. That's that's. Oh, you're I actually want. gonna have him go French with it? Yeah, it's gonna be like you fucking little. <laughs> no, you <laughs> fucking <laughs> pussy. He'd be doing that, but in, with a sort of dodgy French accent. Uh, so for the for the female cat, so for for her character, you want someone posh, classy, can do the French. Uh, Charlotte Rampling. Oh, you know Charlotte no, Rampling, right? No, I don't know. Who that is. Yes, yeah, you know, um, you know she's quite old, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, but it's all motion capture. You know. So the story, it's pretty similar. You got Chupette, she's living the high life in Paris. She's got these two maids that look after her. Now she's had some kittens. Um, I, I want the idea that. Karl Lagerfeld inseminated her using a pipette. Um, rather oh than... my god! 
<laughs> oh my god! I've just realised who would be a great Uncle Waldo if you are if you are going down this French route. Gérard Depardieu. <laughs> yes, he would be perfect. Yes. He would be perfect. <laughs> um, so now Chupet gets catnapped by Calvin Klein uh, because <laughs> he wants he's trying to teach Karl Lagerfeld a lesson about the use of fur in fashion. Okay. Because Carl uh-huh. Lagerfeld uses fur, and Calvin Klein does not. But obviously, they escape with the he- with the help of Jason Statham. Uh, so they they sort of get together. Chupet realizes she's down for a bit of rough. But we what happens in the first one is we don't really get any character development of anyone, and there's no conflict at all. So I'd like to kind of beef that up a bit. So it makes sure that they like at first they don't get on, and they have to kind of learn to respect each other. And he kind of helps them out of a sense of duty, you know the cat law of the road or whatever. I'd like a bit more conflict on that journey where they have to kind of learn to trust each other and stuff, which they is not in the first one at all. Just... And then, yeah, the kittens would just be, you know, pretty much comic relief, just them bumbling along as they do. Oh, yeah, uh, Calvin Klein's trying to catch them, but they keep getting away with the help of a band of musicians. Now, in the original, the band, the jazz band, it's, a so- it's I think it's supposed to represent the kind of multicultural, diverse nature of this underground society and, and kind of the jazz movement and things like that. Mm. Unfortunately, it comes across a bit racist because <laughs> there's like, well, what is referred to as a Chinese cat. Who oh, just Christ, of... yeah, that's sad. <laughs> that oh, yeah. Do they not? Uh, uh, does he have a like, symbol on his head at one point? <laughs> he does yes. play a piano with chopsticks. And then, and there's like one's English, one's Russian, one's one's voiced by Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Is that right? Thurl Ravenscroft. Yeah, yeah. Voice of Tony the Tiger, and he plays the. He's the big deep voice cat. Oh no way! He also sang "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." Well, I was thinking, I still want to have that music group in there, but you need something that represents today a, a, a completely inoffensive, superficial, homogenized society. Uh, so I think they'd be good if they were played by uh, Coldplay. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Couldn't possibly offend anyone. Well, <laughs> And then, because this is set in the world of high fashion, like the, the big finale should be set in some kind of uh, fashion show, lots of gratuitous cameos like Zoolander would have. And Cruella de Vil! Yeah. yeah, throw her there in there, no problem. Uh, and then, and then, so yeah, that's it really. And then, but because this whole thing is just Karl Lagerfeld's, you know, personal project, he will insist on designing all the costumes, so everyone will be dressed like daft cunts the whole way through. But uh, you know, that's that's it really. Jason Statham is the aristocrat. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get Gilbert Gottfried in at one point to do like a really racist, not racist, just sexually uh, explicit. Joke. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. As Iago? Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah, Iago just flies in and starts talking about, and the brothers and the sisters, are, they're sucking and fucking and sucking and fucking. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it? And then, and then the, uh, the name of the film flashes up on screen and it's the end of the film. <laughs> mm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> but, like I say, there's... They're announcing these new uh, Disney films every every few months at the moment, and they're they're really burning through them at a very fast pace. So I I do think they're gonna hit all the obvious the obvious ones first. I reckon they'll do Bambi. I think Hercules is gonna be one of the very next announced. That's my bet. Hercules. Do you not think? But I I could see all sorts of them happening. I I reckon they'll I reckon they'll get to Robin Hood at some point, and it'll be this weird thing where. Where they'll do motion capture animal versions of all the 
humanoid like it's gonna be that's gonna be when like pop culture really begins to just kind of eat itself and collapse in on itself <laughs> but i i can see that happening pop will eat itself yeah um they might stay clear of pocahontas <laughs> just because it's a bit oh yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they get to lilo and stitch even oh wow it wouldn't surprise me and then, I mean, after that, you're just kind of left with films no one cares about. No one gives a shit about Saludos Amigos or the Three Caballeros. Or... Well, the only one it, out of yeah. those uh, wartime films I could see them doing is uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Well, even then, that's just Sleepy Hollow, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, Sleepy Hollow. I mean, I know that Sleepy Hollow isn't a Disney film. Sleepy but, Hollow um, and Wind in the Willows. I wouldn't be surprised if they yes. said we're doing live action Disney no, no, but... Sleepy Hollow and we're doing live action Disney uh, Wind in the Willows, though. I guess I guess technically about, um... Sleepy Hollow, the Tim Burton film, was Touchstone, which is Disney, isn't it? So it's technically already mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lady and the Tramp, that'll happen. Oh yes. What about uh, Pixar? Oh, they might go to that well. Eventually. Toy Story, yeah, yeah. Same thing. You you have like CGI toys in the real world. It's kind of redundant though. It just it really doesn't feel necessary. But I well, that, that would stop him. Yeah. I mean, Beauty and the Beast remake is obviously redundant. I, I would have seen Tarzan happening if they hadn't just done the Warner Brothers version. Maybe give it a few years. Oh, of course. Well, there is that strange Warner Brothers uh, Jungle Book movie that's coming out soon, isn't there? The Andy Serkis oh, one. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Jun- Jungle Book Origins that got... They were yeah. smart to delay by, like, a year because it was going to come out very close to... Well, they ended up postponing it even further. Like, I think... Is, is it even out this year? I think the whole thing was, that, like... They thought they were going to have this groundbreaking CGI motion capture thing with Andy Serkis, and then John Favreau's film just kind of popped out of nowhere and <laughs> did all of that, and no one was expecting it. And yeah. so I don't. I think they're kind of just struggling to know what to do with it. I can imagine because you've got a lot of like high-profile talent involved with it in it, and it's um... oh Jesus, yeah, its release date is October twenty eighteen. <sighs> The problem there is that Disney's going to have the Jungle Book 2 out around that time, aren't they? So it's just going <laughs> to... Because, <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, they are they are working on the Jungle Book 2. I believe they're filming it back-to-back with The Lion King, which is oh. going to be interesting. You know in the book, the Jungle Book, um, hmm. at the end he like, goes and gets the elephants and leads them... It's like Dances with Wolves, and it, like Mowgli leads them in like battle against the village, and they just like flatten the man village and kill everyone. <laughs> mm. So uh, maybe that maybe that's a sequel. <laughs> I'd watch that. And then I think everything from like 2000 onwards is kind of Atlantis, you know, Treasure Planet. <laughs> These are all films that might actually work quite well with a live action remake, but they just don't have the. They're not fondly remembered. Home on the Range. <laughs> <laughs> that's not gonna no. but but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Frozen or even Tangled yeah. in a few years time they just say fuck it I think Frozen would work really well as live action because it's not doesn't even embrace the animation particularly I think, I think Frozen mm. could happen a lot sooner than it should you know you know this Beauty and the Beast film then they they added some songs for when they did the stage version because this is something we haven't mentioned. The the a lot of these films have been adapted into stage plays. Um, True for yeah. a long while. I think The Lion King was the first of that. Was it? Uh, it was I... certainly the big Possibly. the big hit that kind of made yeah. them think, fuck, we're on something here. And they've done it with, I think they've done it with Aladdin, or they're doing it with Aladdin. They've done it with the they've done it with Aladdin. They've done it yeah, with the they've, Little um... Mermaid. They've done it with Beauty yep. and the Beast. 
I yep. think they're working on it with Frozen now, actually. Yes, yes, I believe so. When they do that, they generally write more songs that aren't... Do you know if any of those Beauty and the Beast extra songs are going to make their way into this film? Oh, I don't Cause, know. Because Gaston, Gaston has a song called Me that I quite like, actually, a lot more than most of the songs from the Disney film that I'd be, it'd be nice to see. If, uh... Well, I guess we'll know soon enough. Um, it's out, yeah. It's out yeah. pretty soon. This week, mm. at the time of... Uh, yes uploading <laughs> do, do you think this one's going to go down well i think it, i think it's gonna I, i'd be amazed if it isn't the most financially successful of all of them i think it'll probably go down very well i well i know a lot of people who was like super super hyped for it well a lot of people love the old film and there seems to be a lot of crossover with people who like really love emma watson for some reason i, I think it's gonna bomb <laughs> i think <laughs> i think it's gonna Big, I think it's going to bring down Disney. They can't recover. Do you reckon they'll? Because uh, they seem a lot more open to making sequels of these. Do you reckon there's potential for Beauty and the Beast two live action film down the line? Oh, of course. I mean, they seem to be making sequels out of all the other yeah, ones apart from Cinderella so far. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That was yet another episode of Diminishing Returns. Hope you enjoyed that. Just to clarify a few points, apparently the musical numbers from the Broadway production will not be featuring in the new film, sadly. And Calvin was absolutely correct, there is some sort of Disney live-action Snow White film in the works that I sloppily missed from my research. Normally this would be the bit of the show where we beg you to like us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, subscribe. This week's a bit different because the British Podcast Awards are now accepting votes for nominations in the Listener Choice Award. If, if you're enjoying the show, or, or even if you're not and you're just willing to do us a solid favour, it would mean a lot to myself, Calvin and Alan if you would take the time to visit britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote where you can vote for us. All you have to do is type in Diminishing Returns into the search for the podcast box. I believe we are the first result that pops up but just look for the one with the thumbnail art from the show. Should look very similar to the one you're listening to right now. Yeah, click on it. It'll ask for your name and email address and uh, press submit. It, It takes honestly about 10 seconds if that and you can choose to be entered into a prize draw to win some tickets to the uh, podcast award ceremonies themselves, which, even if you can't be bothered going, are probably going to be worth a bit on eBay, so uh, well, well worth taking part there. Um, please, much obliged. And as ever, we'll be back next week. I believe we're doing some Power Rangers nonsense or something like that, so uh, yeah, yeah, come back, check it out. It's going to be good. Go, go, Power Rangers. Bye.